You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Well, it is good to worship together. You all should sit up here every once in a while and just listen and praise the Lord that I want to be careful to not praise you, but thank you for joining in chorus in worship of our God and for us to sing and worship together. Um, this is a time where we continue. The worship doesn't stop with music. We continue as we worship God through the hearing, the study of his word. So I invite you to take out, hopefully you have a copy of his word. If not, there's some in the chairs. And if you don't have a copy and you want one, there are some out in the front. As you come in, please take the. In fact, there's a lot of literature there. Feel free to take that. That's for you to use. But if you want and you've got a copy of your scripture, we're in Romans 8, of course, once again. And you can make your way to verse 26 in Romans chapter 8. On your way there, by way of review, Malachi helps us out. And this was kind of the title, kind of the theme that begun our, our, began our section last time when we looked through verses 18 through 25. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the future glory that will be revealed in us. Thank you, Malachi. Drawing that in picture and in a word picture of sorts. Present time, not worth comparing. Future glory. We're going to see, we saw last week, this inward groaning, waiting eagerly, hoping, waiting for it with patience. Well, hopefully you have come to Romans chapter 8 and then verse 26. Uh, We're just going to look at two verses here. We are on our way. I mean, it's, it's kind of climaxing, I think, towards probably one of the m- more familiar even verses of the chapter. For, for those who love God, all things work together for good. But we want to read these two verses that, that come before this. So verse 26 and 27, let's listen to God's word. <clears throat> Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Let's pray again. Father, as we come to your word, and I pray right now, and the Spirit groans right now, we thank you, Lord, that you hear us through Christ, who is the way. Lord, we thank you for your leading this morning, for our time of worship in song, in the word, in prayer. And so, Lord, guide us now by your Spirit who gives us understanding into the things of you and to see your revelation in the word of God, the steady word, the sure word that is before us. Lord, give us that understanding and application in our own lives, in our own place where we live, in the, in the certain things going on in each of our unique lives. Guide the preacher today, guide the hearer for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. If I could ask you about your prayer life, if you think about your own praying, your own prayer life and how it's going, I, I wonder how many of you might respond this way. If I said, how's prayer going for you? How's that going? How's, 
How's prayer in your life? Maybe you would respond, it's not where it should be. I'm not praying enough. I should be praying more. Or it's, it's just not there. You might say, maybe you just pray too little, not often enough. Maybe you don't give prayer the place you know it deserves. In your walk with Christ, I'm to pray, and I just don't pray like I should. And, and I think who, who among us, including the preacher, we need... Who wouldn't say, we need to pray more? Or maybe you're discouraged in prayer, and you pray, and it just seems God never answers, and you're just prone to give up on prayer. And does God really hear your prayer anyway? You can kind of catch the theme of prayer. Our passage today, I think, it's, it's a mini-seminar on prayer. However, that being said, if it's a seminar, it has very little, do, very little to do if at all, with technique or how you pray. And the sermon is not five tips to a better prayer life or uh, here's ten surefire ways. I'll just list them off. You do these ten things, you're sure to get your prayers answered the way you want. That kind of, no. In fact, it might be a seminar we actually don't think we need in regard to prayer. But I hope just in our short time in God's Word, you're going to come away to come away encouraged once again to pray. Not guilted into prayer, kind of a you ought to, but rather an invitation. Oh, pray. Dear Christian, pray. And let us pray all the more. So let's see that. Let's head into our text and really just the main, kind of like last week that Malachi drew for us, really, again, a main headline of this passage would be the first part. And I'm going to kind of take these two verses just in in clauses, so many of you would have, I guess it's a period or maybe a comma, but the first part of verse 26 says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. As we come into verses, these verses, 26, 27, we're on the heels again of Paul describing this inward groaning that we experience. We experience it in this, the the creation that's in bondage to corruption. And then there's this eager waiting. We looked at the last part there, and, and waiting with endurance or patience or perseverance, the, the present sufferings as we groan and we, and we wait, but there's also present hope and present help. And this help here presently is from the Holy Spirit. And once again, in chapter 8 here, we find a mention of the Spirit. And as we've worked through, just this is a quick review through chapter 8, it, it seems like the Holy Spirit has work in the heart and life of the believer. It's, it's one of the main emphases of this chapter. For instance, verse 2, there's the law of the Spirit of life. Verse 4, we walk according to the Spirit. Verse 5, those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Verse 9, and I know I'm I'm probably skipping places as well, but verse 9, Paul speaks to the indwelling of the Spirit of God. You get to verse 13, and it is by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. Verse 14, all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. Verse 15, we have received the Spirit of adoption. And by verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Of God, even last week in our text from last week, and I didn't—I don't think I mentioned it even—but verse twenty-three, we're said to 
We're said to have the first fruits of the Spirit. That though we groan, we might hope and we might wait in hope. So the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, helps in our weakness. In many places, the word for weakness here, it's, there's various translations. could be like um, our infirmities, maybe other places where weakness is used. Similar words, infirmities, disability, invalid, or ailments. And so Paul, again, he takes us to another reality. We talked about reality even last week, the the groaning, the reality that God's Word shows, but another reality that confronts even the so-called, if there's such a thing, best of believers, and that is weakness. And Paul, if you know Paul, he's not afraid to address weaknesses. Weaknesses of those in Christ. Paul says to the Corinthians, he says to them, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Or 2 Corinthians 11, Paul says, If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The writer of Hebrews even says in chapter 4, verse 15, he says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Leon Morris writes here on weakness. He says this, Weakness is not sin, nor is it suffering. He goes on to say, Paul is simply referring to the fact that we who are Christians are not the spiritual giants we would like to be. And in parentheses he says, and sometimes imagine we are. We are not. He says, we are weak. And left to ourselves, we will always be in trouble. And it's here, it's in our weakness that the Spirit helps. And one commentary describes this helping as someone helping another carry a heavy load. And God knows we are weak. He knows our powerlessness. And so even knowing this, God sends his spirit to us to help us. And one other note here on help, it's in the present tense that the spirit helps us in our weaknesses. So, or in our weakness, it's a present, a verb of this ongoing action. And so similar commentary, same one says, it's not the spirit helps in those occasional times when Christians are weak. Their state is one of weakness and the spirit continually helps them. It's not, wow, today's going well. I I must be doing better. Praise God, you are being, you, a weak Christian, are being helped along by His Spirit. But then what kind of weakness is being helped here? And that's where this next clause or next sentence uh, would answer. So look at the middle part of verse 26. Paul says, Therefore, we do not know what to pray for as we ought. So the Spirit helps us in our weakness for, connecting it to that, for we do, not what to, we do not know what to pray for as we ought. So the Spirit's help in relation to our weakness is actually tied to prayer. Regarding prayer, Lawrence Richards, he writes this on prayer. He says the, the New Testament transforms the classical stiffness, that is prayer of calling on a deity, transforms that stiffness, stiffness into the warmth of genuine 
conversation. And he references then Matthew 6, where, where there Jesus, in verses 5 through 8, Jesus condemns a ritualistic, hypocritical approach to prayer and presents true prayer as an intimate expression of relationship with a God who is one's Father. Sinclair Ferguson, writing that book, one of my favorites on the Holy Spirit by Sinclair Ferguson, he describes prayer as this, and quote, an expression of worship and adoration as well as of personal need. Worship, adoration, personal need. But there is a problem with our praying. Some of your translations, maybe just the NASB really that you're using, might say here we don't know how to pray. Um, I think you could, you could grab that here, but I think a better translation is we don't know what to pray. Not necessarily even how, you could say that, but more the focus here is on the we don't know what to pray. So Doug Moo writes this. He says, the wording of the clause indicates it's not the manner or style of prayer that Paul has in view, but the content or object of prayer, what we are to pray for. Now, what Paul, and Moose says here, what Paul apparently has in mind is that, that inability to discern clearly God's will in the many things for which we pray. For instance, think of this ought here. We might pray for God's healing of someone. I think that's good to pray for. Don't hear me say, don't pray for healing. But perhaps it's that very illness that's going to eventually lead this one to follow Christ, perhaps. So, so then should we pray God doesn't heal them? And that sounds really weird and bad. So we shouldn't do that. We might pray for somebody to get a job. They say, help me, you know, pray, pray that I get this thing. Well, that might be what they need, but it might not be what they need. They might need to stay where they're at or do something different. So what, how, what do we pray? It's the word ought here. You see it in the, at least in the ESV. We do not know what to pray for as we ought. What we ought to do, the first ought is, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's praying as Jesus prayed, God, your will be done. But in our weakness, perhaps that will is closer to, this is what I would like done. This is my willing. And, and I think, how many times have you prayed and thought, Lord, I think the answer to prayer would be what I'm praying. I am praying the right thing. This is exactly how it should go. I'm, I'm praying for someone's salvation now, today. And, and Lord, almost do what I will. I think it's pretty close. James says this. He says, you do not have... Because you do not ask, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And so the inward groaning of maybe even our day, it gets louder and we may end up praying, replacing God's will over, these are my needs, this is what I need. And I think, Lord, it would be best if this was how it happened, my will. Okay, that's kind of one problem. Further, maybe another is just consider. So think that. Consider this also. Think of just who is it when you pray for the intercession of Christ, we can pray to who? God, the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, who with his voice, with his words, everything was created. 
And that's the God that you're going to pray to. And so the question might be there is, if we realize who we're praying to, what then should we ask? What should we ask this one? How can we ask? What, what, what ought we to ask of this God? Again, Leon Morris, he writes, So difficult is it to know what it is best to pray for that some of the heathen philosophers advise their followers not to pray at all. That's not what I'm advising. He says, Our horizon is always limited, and we do not know what is best. We don't know what to pray for as we ought. But we can fear not, fret not, because of, again, the beginning, the Spirit is our helper. And so the final clause of verse 26 says, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And there's a connection. I didn't come up with this myself. Maybe I would have seen this. Others have seen it. A connection between the groanings of creation, verse 22. So looking back on that. There's our own groaning in the already not yet, verse 23. And now here, now again, there's more groaning. But here it's the Spirit himself groaning and interceding for us. Paul's going to get to the Spirit helping the what of our prayer in verse 27. Here we simply have one who intercedes for us in prayer. Where the right words are lacking in us, the the right praying, having all our ducks in a row with everything that we're going to pray for in our prayers, we we have one who groans for us. I don't think these are our groanings. This is the Spirit groaning here. And the Spirit helps our weak praying with His strong groanings. So verse 27 continues here. I'll read the whole verse, and we'll look at it a little bit. It says, And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. There's one searching the hearts here. You could capitalize he who is the he who searches hearts? Well, none other than the Lord God. First Chronicles 28.9, David says something similar. He says, for the Lord, oh, we're reaching all back Old Testament, for the Lord searches all hearts, understands every plan and thought. Jeremiah 17.10, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to, to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. The Lord searches the heart, tests the mind to give a man according to his ways. And at this point, we might not find those words so comforting that God sees our, our hearts. He sees every, every part of them, even as we pray. So what hope is there for us to then appeal to God when he sees our own our own sin and our own weaknesses, and maybe even our own asking for what I will, what I want. What he sees is an intercessor in our praying. He sees the mind of the Spirit. I think verses 9 through 11 give us a little help, and I think they can form somewhat of a basis for God knowing the mind of the Spirit within the believer. So look at, look at verses 9 through 11. I'll just read them again. 
backwards in chapter 8, you, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So I think when God tests and he searches the heart, there in in the graciously beloved child of God, he thus finds the mind of the spirit who dwells within. And this is good news for our own weakness. And so verse 27 tells us that the Spirit within, God's Holy Spirit, intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I'm going to look at this just a bit because it it literally says the Spirit intercedes really because according to God, He, that is the Spirit, intercedes for the saints. And it just says according to God. I'm thankful here, Doug Doug Mooigan, he helps to point out that the, the what that we don't know what to pray for. Remember verse 26. It's helped by the Spirit's groaning and interceding according to God. And and that, I think, is why many put in there, according to God's will in verse 27. So in our weakness to know even what it is we need to pray for, in the weakness of praying for our, our own will, even versus God's will, the Spirit intercedes for the saints. Now, one side note before we just kind of bring this to a close. One question, at least in my mind, maybe it's in yours too, is a question when we, when we read of the Spirit interceding for us. It's a question, I thought Jesus interceded for us. What's Paul, is he saying something different here? This is talking about the, the Spirit interceding. And verse 34 later on is going to say that. It's going to talk about Christ interceding for us. How is how is the Holy Spirit interceding? Is this the same, is this the same thing? What, what's the distinction of the, the Spirit interceding and then Christ's intercession? If you look at verse 34, there's other places where we see Christ does certainly intercede. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 says, Consequently, He, that is Christ, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Later on in Hebrews 9, verse 24, we find Christ appears in the presence of God on our behalf. There's an idea of intercession there. Or 1 John 2, 1, Jesus is called an advocate. We have an advocate with the Father. So there's wonderful hope in this intercession of Christ, but, but then what differentiates these intercessors? the Son, and then here the Spirit. And again, you're hearing a common theme. Doug Moo is helpful when we wrestle with what are these two intercessions, and he writes this. So thinking of these two, there's Jesus interceding and the Holy Spirit interceding. Do you hear? I mean, we'll bring this up at the end. Do you hear the glorious, what do you have, dear Christian? Who is interceding for you? God. Moose says this. He says, There is one in heaven, the Son of God, who intercedes on our behalf, defending us 
from all charges that might be brought against us, guaranteeing salvation in the day of judgment. But there is also, Paul asserts in these verses, really what we're looking at today, an intercessor in the heart, the Spirit of God, who effectively prays to the Father on our behalf throughout the difficulties and uncertainties of our lives here on earth. John Murray has said this to distinguish. The children of God have two divine intercessors. Christ in the court of heaven and the Holy Spirit in the theater of their own hearts. If God has been gracious to you in revealing your sin and then revealing Christ to you so that you've come to him, you've come in repentance and faith, you who are weak, you have an intercessor in Christ who appears in the presence of God on your behalf and a spirit who intercedes for you while you pray. We have such gifts of God to us. I want to close with this, and I'm going to bring up Catholicism. I'm certainly no expert on Catholicism. Some of you have grown up in it and could tell me more about it. But I want to close because one line in particular kind of got me thinking about that practice of praying to saints. And it's really, it's really the, the phrase there within verse uh, 27 where he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints. I want to just think on that a little bit. First of all, Paul uses the word saints in our text, and literally you could say the, the holy ones. But the New Testament makes clear these are, not, these are not departed saints. These are present, living saints. Paul describes them this way elsewhere, 1 Corinthians. And, and he addresses saints in the church. He says in 1 Corinthians, one to the church of God that is, Cor- is in Corinth, to those sanctified or made holy, being made holy in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. He's addressing the church, saints. Called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Peter calls believers a royal priesthood, a holy nation, saints. Now, according to the, I'm getting this from websites, I can show you where or whatever. According to the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, Here's their definition of saints. Saints are defined this way. Saints are persons in heaven. There's distinction there. Officially canonized or not, who lived heroically virtuous lives, offered their life for others, or were martyred for the faith, and who are worthy of imitation. In official church procedures, there are three steps to sainthood. A candidate becomes venerable, then blessed, and then saint. Apparently, from this particular website, there are 11 American saints. Only 11. In another place, another website, I think maybe this is speaking worldwide, stating there are over 10,000 saints the church recognizes. And then they go on to list, it's kind of under the heading, you know, Google anything, but under the heading, 10 saints every Catholic should know. 
I picked a few from their list. The one is St. Michael. I have a special uh, affinity to that. So, writing of St. Michael, maybe some of you know this. He's the patron saint of soldiers and police. And so it says this. You know, these are the, the ten saints you ought to know. St. Michael, uh, patron saint, soldiers and police. It says, when Catholics seek defense and protection in various circumstances of life, many will pray to St. Michael. This petition, known as the St. Michael Prayer, makes the following requests. Defense in battle, protection against the wickedness of Satan, that God would rebuke Satan, and that God would cast Satan and his evil spirits into hell to spare people on earth from their mischief. Or there's St. Christopher, the patron saint of travelers. It says here, Catholics often wear necklaces depicting St. Christopher during trips for the saint's protection and blessings. Traveling can cause some anxiety, but remembering St. Christopher and meditating on God's protection can put one's mind at ease. This sentiment makes St. Christopher one of the most popular Catholic saints on this list. And so in conclusion, the list says this, the many Catholic saints and their meanings provide a source of help and encouragement to Catholics around the world. Catholics offer up prayers to the patron saints in this list. And here's the line. I don't want to, I'm just picking on, but there's truth to be said here. Catholics offer up prayers to the patron saints in this list with the hope that they will intercede on their behalf. Countering this website, there's a question asked by the website gotquestions.org. I go there often. I mean, it's one of those pops up. I don't know if I agree 100% every answer, but it's pretty, it's a really good place. And they ask this question. They say, and this will relate now, bring it into what we've been talking about, Jesus Christ, our intercessor, and the Holy Spirit. And they ask this, with the second and third persons of the Trinity already interceding for us before the Father, why would we need to have Mary or the saints interceding for us. May I encourage you, believers, believers in Christ, to pray. We have a hope that far outshines hoping a certain saint, because of their good deeds, is going to talk to... Just hope we get a hearing with our God. Do you realize the hearing you, believer, have in Christ via His Holy Spirit? Groaning, not just... Yeah, I'll deliver your prayer if I have to. Groaning with words too deep. Groaning with groanings too deep for words. Pray because your Savior intercedes on your behalf in the presence of God. And then the Spirit intercedes for you. Consider these verses. Just, they're short, 26 and 27. Consider them a gracious invitation. And the conviction, why would we pass this up? Why would we say, you know, i got, I got a lot of things to get to. I will pray a little bit. This is not your story. I'm sharing my story. i got, I got a sermon to write. Why should I pray? May we take this gracious invitation. We're weak. We're weak in our prayer. What a glorious statement. We're weak to pray. God helps us. You feel weak to pray? Fine. You're fitting the Scripture. Now go pray. And you have a spirit groaning on your behalf 
to the Lord. Let us take advantage of this gift of God to us. So let us pray. Lord, I pray that we that have gathered here, we that believe in Christ as our Savior and yet would answer the question, how is your prayer life with, on a scale of 1 to 10 with maybe a 2 or 3? Lord, and maybe, hopefully, there, there's conviction over that. We don't, we don't want that. And yet, that's where we are often. Lord, may we hear in here this gracious invitation to come to you, not because we've got our prayers all in order. We've got the words just right. We're going to really impress somebody. We come because you've invited us to come and you have powerfully dwelt within us your spirit that we can pray to you, that you do hear us and the spirit groans and we have Christ the Savior in your presence on our behalf. Help us, Lord, to take advantage of this gift, to pray, as you talk about, to pray without ceasing. Or that we would not start projects, we would not continue in our days, we would not do things without coming to you joyfully, thankfully by your invitation, not out of duty, but out of desire to come to you. Help us in this and thank you for the help you already give us, the groaning you've already been groaning in our lives as we pray. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.